Interview number 111, Kathy Collins. Comedian as storyteller, storytelling as comedy. Thank you, my dear brother. What a beautiful soul. All children love stories. Folk tales, they are messages from our ancestors. Then you have come to the right place. We will have a storyteller in every school. Storytelling can teach. You have that openness of a child. Good on you, Eric, for doing what you're doing. That's a great question. Thank you. I'm inspired just to be here. I'm really honored to be here. We tell stories. Know yourself. Follow your passion. And live with grace. Hey, welcome to the Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. And I am so glad that you have found your way here, that you have come here from wherever you are in the world, because Today, this week, I've been spending my time at the Talk Story Conference in Waikiki, Hawaii. And I am so thrilled that you have come here with us because I, mm, I have once again, I have once again found for you one of the storytellers who is working on the edge. Working on the edge of what it means to represent the sacred and what it means to represent an irreverent view of of mythology and of life and how we can use that to connect with our audiences. I'm talking about Kathy Collins, who is a resident of Maui in the Hawaiian island chain. And I have had the privilege of watching her perform Tita, who is a character she portrays, who is quite amazing. And so first, let me just say thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure. One of the reasons that I was really excited... Kathy has a tradition of of working with radio in her own community. So she really understands the power of the voice to affect change in a community. But I've asked her to come on the show because one of the struggles, and I've had Native American storytellers come on the show and talk about the importance of of working with the sacred and, and telling the old stories. And she's telling the old stories, and she's not Hawaiian, but they're so approachable, and they're so human, and they're so just... They, you laugh and you enjoy them and you connect with them and you feel them as real legends that happened. And so I was really excited to have her come on and talk about that. Do you have a story you could share with us? Uh, sure, I would love to. I love telling stories about Pele, um, who is the, uh, everybody knows her as the goddess of volcanoes. And, and I'd love to share one of those with you. In my Tita character, of course. Okay. Everybody know about Pele, right? The goddess of volcanoes. Well, a lot of people don't understand it. Pele, she used to just go about her business, do stuff like regular people. And one of her most favorite things was holua racing. Now, one holua is one Hawaiian sled. We no more snow around here, so we got to go on the grass or the mud. And long time ago, in ancient Hawaii, holua racing was the spot of kings, was also Pele's favorite spot. So one day, she stayed cruising around the mountain, looking around for something to do, and she seen one whole bunch of people all crowded around one hillside. So she go over there, she check them out. Sure enough, was holua racing. And not just any holua race, was the championship race between Kahavali and Ahua. 
Kahavali and Ahua was both chiefs on the big island of Hawaii. Both of them was strong and smart and handsome too. And both of them was undefeated in Holua racing. So, today was the day everybody can find out who is the ultimate Holua racer in all of Hawaii. Everybody all excited, they placing their bets, they cheering on their favorite guy. They no even notice when this gorgeous young wahine come up. Take her place at the starting line, right in between Kahavali and Ahua. Kahavali noticed the wahine and he thought, Eh, chick, you're not supposed to be over here, go sit down. The wahine no say nothing. She just smile and look straight ahead down the course. Ahua tell, Eh, let her go, she gonna eat our dust. The referee tell, Ekahi, Elua, Ekolu. Imua, one, two, three, forward, and off they go. Kahavali and Ahua, neck and neck, and shoo, right past them, the wahine go. When Kahavali and Ahua reach down the finish line, they no can believe the wahine standing there fixing her hair, checking her nails like she been standing there all day. Kahavali tell, how you in do that? And Ahua tell, that's beginner's luck. She no can do that again. So they go back up to the starting line, and one more time, Ekai, Elua, Ekolu, Imua, down the hill they go one more time, Kahavali and Ahua, neck and neck, and one more time, shoo, right past them the wahine go. Wow, Kahavali stay thinking, who this wahine, so beautiful, so gorgeous, and so strong, and smart, and fast, he never did see this wahine around before, but... He stay falling in love. So he go up to her and he tell her, Okay, uh, I like one more chance, race you. And this time, if I win, I get one kiss from you. The wahine, she no say nothing. She just pick up her holua, take the sled back up the hill, ready for go. Now, Kahavali, he kind of smart, you know. He look around, he find one nice-sized lava rock. He's Put him in front his whole lua with nobody looking. Hide him in the front. Because he know, since he and Ahua is even match with the extra weight from the rock, that going to pull him down the hill more fast than Ahua. So even if he no can beat the wahine, he can beat Ahua, and the wahine going to be all impressed with him, and he going to get his kiss. So one more time they go, Ekahi, Elua, Ekolu, Ibuwa, and down the hill they go. But this time, Kahavali's rock pull him out ahead, catch everybody by surprise. Not only he beat Ahua, he beat the wahine too. And when he reached down the finish line and he jump up to his feet, turn around for get his kiss. <gasps> what he seen when curl his toenails. <gasps> that gorgeous young wahine with the long black hair. Eh, she stayed changing to a mean, ugly monster. Her black hair stayed stand straight up in the air, burst into flames. Smoke coming out of her nose and her ears just like in the cartoons. Her beautiful young face all twisted with rage. Her eyes black and shiny. And that's when Kahavali realized he's the messing around with Pele. He take off running down the mountain. He know if he can reach the ocean, he can be safe from Pele and her fire and lava. Who are running right behind him. And here come Pele chasing after them with giant steps. 
Every time her feet touch the ground, the earth crack open, rocks exploding, trees burst into flames. Cahabalera, who are they running? They run, they run so fast, but they not dare for look back. They can smell the hairs on their legs burning up from Pele's hot breath right behind them. They not stop until they reach the beach, and as soon as they reach the sand, Ahua stub his toe on one rock, he fell flat on his face. Pele scooped him up in one deadly bear hug, and as she wrapped her arms around him, lava come pouring out from her fingertips and cover him head to toe. Kahavali seen that, he take one desperate jump for the ocean, and as soon as his fingertips touch the waves, Pele reach out, grab him by the toes, and yank him back on the sand. So, you like kiss me, yeah? Well, kiss me now, you dirty cheat. And she pressed her burning lips on top his face. The last thing Kahavali seen was the eyes of Pele, black and shining like lava rock, pouring into his skull as he take his last gasp of breath and he feel his whole body catch fire as the lava screams slowly down his body all the way to the ground and to this day you go to the big island of Hawaii you look just off the shoreline you still can see Kahavali and Ahua two big black mounds of lava rock standing there in the ocean they therefore remind everybody, you mess around with one tira, guarantees you gon' get burned. No forget that. Eh? That's one true story. Honest promise. That's great. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it, I, it dawned on me that this is going to an audience outside of Hawaii and... Um, uh, there were a couple of words in there that might have... I, I did explain holua, but there were a couple of other words that people might not be familiar with. And um, one of them was... Oh, gosh. Now I can't think of it. Was well, it? you had the race, and then uh, you had the woman's name. But you ha it was kind of clear that that's who she was. Yeah. Yeah. Wahine, of course, is woman in Hawaiian. Um... We all know that lava burns. <laughs> See, well, I guess it was pretty clear. Yeah. It's a pretty um, uh, universal tale. I think most people are familiar with the legends of Pele, or at least they they understand that Pele is um, a deity in Hawaiian mythology, legends, um, and some say history. Uh, who is able to change her, her form. She can be a beautiful young woman or an, an old, old hag, or she can, she can become fire and lava itself. Do you have some concern telling these stories that Pelly might take notice? You know, I, as far as Pelly, I always tell them with the utmost respect. Um, here in Hawaii, oh, Tira, that was the word. Uh, <laughs> Atira, which is also my character's name, is a local term for, I, I believe it came from the word sister, but it basically means a local girl, a local woman with attitude. And Tiras are proud to be Tiras. I believe that if Pele ever heard me telling these stories, she would be very proud. I, I think it's told, I tell it in tribute to her. I love the pe uh, legends of Pele. And uh, I see Tira, my Tira, 
as really being a translator. Um, what I really enjoy doing is taking the old legends um, and, and some historical facts and then telling them in the uh, the local Creole. We, we call it Pidgin. Um, it's officially called Hawaiian Creole English and uh, was and came about um, really during the plantation days as a, a means for... There are so many ethnicities here. All were brought into work in the sugar plantations and, and our Pidgin developed as a way for everyone to be able to communicate. Uh, Pidgin is the first language of many of our local children. And once you start going to school, then, you know, you're admonished to speak proper English. Um, but many of us grow up bilingual. We speak the Pidgin at home, among friends, and we speak proper English when we have to <laughs> in school, and when we go out into the workforce, etc. And so... My idea when I first started doing this character and, and storytelling was to bring out these old legends and um, uh, to a greater audience in a language that they understand and can appreciate. And besides, Pigeon is a very humorous, um, fun language to, to listen to. It's, it's very it's primal, it's basic, and, and very expressive, I, I, I feel. And so I don't, I don't worry about offending Pele because she's, she always comes out the winner in these stories. Uh, whenever I tell them, I always I try to impart to the audience the sense of how much power this being has and that she really is a good, not really a person, a, a, um, a good, kind entity but with a very, very fiery temper. And probably her biggest flaw might be jealousy. Uh, there are many, many, many stories about Pele and what she's done to her various uh, would-be lovers and suitors and others who do not pay her the proper respect. Um, I've never worried about Pele herself uh, because I, you know, I do, I, I admire and respect uh, the goddess, but I have concerns about how um, people will react to the telling of the stories, uh, particularly Native Hawaiians. You know, since the 19, mid, mid-70s, the Native Hawaiian community has been going through a, a renaissance, really. You know, there was a time when Hawaiians chose not to speak the language, even at home. And there are a lot of older folks who never learned to speak Hawaiian from their parents because it was just, you know, we don't do that. We, we're Americans now or, or for whatever reason. Um, but in the last several decades, you know, there's been a resurgence of interest and pride in the Hawaiian culture. And so, you know, I, I've grown up in Hawaii. But I'm not of, uh, I don't have any Hawaiian blood. I've studied Hawaiian language and Hawaiian culture. This is my home. I feel about as Hawaiian as you can, but I recognize I'm not Kanaka Maoli. I do not have the blood. And so when I first started doing these stories, I felt, well, I'm doing a good thing. I'm trying to perpetuate the culture. I'm retelling these old legends. And, and I also tell some stories just, you know, straight out of uh, history. 
But it concerned me that maybe some Native Hawaiians may feel that I was being disrespectful because I put my little modern pigeon attitude twist on most of these stories. I have found, though, and I've gone to communities which are, you know, predominantly Native Hawaiian, uh, I found that they really enjoy and appreciate it. And I, I think it's probably because they understand that I'm coming from a place of respect. Um, I am careful. There are some stories that I've read that I don't do because it seems like it would be offensive or they don't place belly in quite the right light. Or You have to understand, though, that pigeon is also a great source. Of, it's something that we are very proud of here, too. Pidgin English is not, or our Hawaiian Creole English is, is, of course, not the same as speaking Olelo Hawaii, the Hawaiian language. But Pidgin is a language that was created here in Hawaii. So whether you are Native Hawaiian or a member of one of the immigrant ethnic groups, it's our language. And I think because I tell, because my character is obviously local, you know, I never ever claim to have Hawaiian blood. In fact, sometimes I will explain to people that Atira is a local girl, not necessarily Hawaiian. You know, I don't, I'm not trying to, to lay claim to that. I think that many of the native Hawaiians feel pride in the Tira character being out there as, as a role model of sorts. Um, and I could be wrong, but in uh, I've been doing Tira for I've been storytelling with Tira for about seven years, and I've been using her as a radio character for longer than that, probably twice as long. And I've never had one complaint or negative comment from a Hawaiian. I have had a couple of um, negative reactions from Caucasians who live in Hawaii. And I did get from one comment from a, a local Asian-American person who felt that Pidgin English, well, they, they likened it to Ebonics and, and like that. They said, why would you want to perpetuate something that's keeping your society, that segment of society, down? Um, but you see, I disagree. Those are people who look at Pidgin as broken English, as the language of illiterates, and it really is not. Um, I, I do a whole lesson on Pidgin and it's it's an actual it's a creole do you do it in her character yes i do <laughs> okay give us give us a good paragraph here okay well see pigeon when come about because all these different guys from all these different countries when come together for work on the sugar plantations over here now how are you gonna tell these guys when for come work what for do when you stay when for go home gotta get one common language so they went take words from all the languages you find on the plantation, mostly English because they're the ones was in charge. But they use Japanese words, Filipino words, Chinese words, all that kind all get mixed in. And then, for whole them together, they use the grammatical structure from Olelo Hawaii, the Hawaiian language. So, when we say stuffs like, cute your dress, or saw my head now if you're not one native pigeon speaker you think we're talking backwards you think that we don't know how for talk right but if you speak Hawaiian language then you already know that's the grammatical structure 
So it's, it's like the Hawaiian speaker is learning the English language but not learning the rules of grammar to the English language. That's yeah, you could say that they they used the the grammatical structure and the you know the, where the nouns go and uh, and and such, and it's mostly English words, but we throw in others as well, and and it's very simple basic words. Another thing is the uh, we always say eh eh bra eh Eric how you doing you know there's that eh, and for people who first hear it it sounds kind of rude to them. But in Hawaiian language, before you say the name of a person when you approach them, you say the syllable e. It's 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 a form of courtesy. It's almost like trying to get someone's attention before you address them, and you know, and asking their permission in a way. Um, see a lot of misunderstood things. <laughs> This is Jeff Kier speaking to you from the heart of the Pacific Ocean. Oh, aren't we all happy that we're here listening to the art of storytelling with Brother Wolf? Uh huh. One of the ideas here that I find fascinating that is not being transmitted as we're talking is that when you become Tita, your entire continence changes. <laughs> Even, you don't do it as much on this when I'm watching you now. On stage, you take your hair out and you lay it down. And I've actually seen pictures of you laying it forward, mm-hmm. right, across your face. But, in, but when you did it earlier today, you, you just let your long hair down. Beautiful black long hair. Uh, and I, I just find this fascinating, this concept of how the voice is connected with the body. And we've kind of talked about this a lot on the program on past shows, how the importance, you know, and we haven't actually talked about it probably in 40 shows, so it's important to talk about. And I'm just curious about that line of the irreverence, because there's a part of the character that's a little bit in your face. And I, I'm curious about, like, like, do you have comedy background, working in comedy clubs? Oh, yeah, she's nodding her head. I am. I, you know, and I always say this, I, I, I feel a little guilty. I feel like I'm masquerading as a storyteller because I'm basically an actress. And I, and I do stand-up comedy, which really came out as a result of doing storytelling festivals. People would ask me to come and do this or that. And it turned out they didn't really want stories. They just, they wanted to be entertained. And so the, the whole thing about taking down the hair and changing the voice and all of that, um, it's 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 my dramatic device. It's my getting into character. The character herself, again, you have to understand local people. Tiras are like that. Tiras are in your face. They have they're opinionated. Um, when I was when I was in grade school and junior high, it wasn't such a great thing to be a tira. The tiras were were the mean big local girls who went around beating up little Asian girls like me. And then, as I I spoke a little earlier about the Hawaiian Renaissance, around that time, I believe the whole image and the whole, the actual being of Tiras changed, along with the pride uh, in being Hawaiian and going back to your your cultural roots, uh, came this, well, this pride in being local. And now a Tira is something to be proud of. It's not the girls that are going around beating up everybody. It's it's strong, independent women who uh, are not afraid to 
to speak their minds. And this is not to say that they're just, uh, you've got to be aggressive to be a tira, um, but a tira is strong, you know, inside and, and out. And so the, uh, the irreverent qualities of this character are really, uh, it's, 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 it's the stereotypical tira, which I guess could be viewed as uh, disrespectful, but uh, I don't know. My tira tries really hard not to, not to uh, step over that line. You know, there's something about the comedy background that gives your character um, a little bit more of an edge. It's almost like you're quite willing, and you can tell you react to people looking at you or doing something. You're quite willing to completely shift the story in a moment and take it over here, and then you go back to where you're planning to go. You have this immediate reaction, and it's in character. And it's amazing to watch. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that probably comes from being so comfortable with the character. When I first started, the first talk story festival I went to, uh, hosted by Jeff Gear in Honolulu, I was terrified because I had never done storytelling before. He had heard a couple of my pieces on the radio and talked to me and said, well, you are, you are a storyteller. You should come over and do this. But I kept telling him, no, I'm an actress. And so my whole set was scripted word for word, you know, and I, I agonized over it and I memorized I approached it like I would if I were doing a one-woman play. I learned the lines and I did not deviate from it. Um, you know, years later, I'm much more comfortable with the character herself and much more willing to um, to let the audience engage me <laughs> and, and take me where I go. Um, Six years ago, I would not have done that. I would have just, you know, stuck to my script and, and performed it the way I'd performed it last week and the week before, and uh, I'm having much more fun with it this way. Uh, probably some of that comes from being on the radio, which is, of course, you, you know, it's, it, you've got to be spontaneous. You've got to be, you know, ready to go with the, with the flow wherever it takes you. Um, I never... I've always been one of those really, you know, I play music, I act, everything is very scripted. As a musician, I can't jam. I can sight read music. I'm much more comfortable reading music and playing. And the same with acting. I've always been one who preferred to memorize my lines, my character, and all of that, and, and do it the same way every time. But now... I'm, I'm much more interested in um, improv and, and things like that, and I guess it's just, just the evolution in which um, being involved in storytelling has taken me. So where are these stories coming from that you use in the character? Tira's stories come from many, many books. I, um, I, I research Hawaiian legends, and uh, I do a couple of pieces on um, kahuna, which are historical pieces, um, you know, the priests and... Uh, the uh, magicians of our time and then I translate them into pigeon I've also experimented with doing other things I've, I've told a couple of uh, Grimm's fairy tales uh, and Tita says you know what if they was local what if they was Dabrada's Grimm this is how it would be and then I just adapt the, the, the fable to a local uh, audience or a local uh, locale Some, sometimes I've heard people say that they weren't comfortable getting in front of an audience and so they invented a character. I had, a, I had a storytelling friend of mine describe how the first two years that he professionally practiced, 
he would use his character method acting to pretend he was his own manager and call people and get work. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> I should do that. Right. And then I had a, another friend who basically created a character he could be because he was so painfully shy, but he really wanted to be a storyteller. So he created a character that he was, and he was that character from when he walked in the door at the school until he left the door. I find that interesting. Um, for me, it wasn't so much that because I'm very comfortable in front of an audience. In fact, I, I love performing live, and I, I have ever since I was in, the, in high school. That's where I got the grease paint in my blood. No, for me, the character came about first. We, I used to do um, commercials on the radio and, and write little, you know, minute and a half um, comedy, uh, comedy bits for this character because, as I say, I think pigeon is such a marvelous, humorous language. Um, I have begun to do some telling as myself and, um, and doing more of a, I'm, I'm, I've got this one-woman show that I've been doing. Uh, my husband passed away two years ago, and um, after he died, I went, "Wow, I'm I'm going to be 50 next year, and I'm single, and and I have the rest of my life to figure out, you know." I, and so I decided, well, what do I really want to do? I really want to do more performing. I, I just love the stage, and uh, and so I decided to do what I call the death comedy jam. And it was a one-woman show. I I used the Tita character. I introduced a couple of new characters. I play an old Japanese man, uh, uh, a young stripper, <laughs> and but most of it was me, Kathy Collins. I talked about my husband's death, my father's death, uh, things that came after, and it's really not as as uh, maudlin as you might think. It was it was uh, trying to face death with um, with humor. It's been therapeutic, it's been fun, and I think I'd like to do a lot more of that. Not necessarily, I, I don't want to just be Tira, but nor do I just want to be the Merry Widow now for the rest of my career. So I'm, I'm looking at picking other topics and then centering shows around that and being able to... Well, let, let, let's look at this idea of, of comedy and how comedy and storytelling intersect. There are some storytellers who say... Comedy is not storytelling. And there are some comedians who say storytelling has nothing to do with comedy. And then you watch, you know, some of the old tapes of um, of Bill Cosby. Uh, exactly. I was going to, that was the first thing that came to mind while well, Bill Cosby used to sit there and he was a marvelous storyteller. I personally believe that they are, they are intertwined. Um, I think that, um, I think that good comedy is storytelling, but storytelling is not necessarily comedy, um, because you can have, you know, I love to hear very dramatic, poignant stories as well. Comedy in itself, stand-up comedy, really, it is storytelling. Jokes are just little, short little stories, don't you think? <laughs> At least that's how I treat them. And for me, it's always been this identity crisis Again, I've never really thought of myself as a storyteller. I take material, I memorize it, I'm comfortable with it, maybe I improvise. But, you know, I have so much respect for people that I consider to be true storytellers, folks who are at this conference, people who will sit down and make up a story on the spot. Or, you know, uh, it's 
to me, that's that's just a tremendous skill that I don't feel I have. I, I really feel like more of a, a pretender. But I, I feel like I'm more of a comedian than a storyteller. And, uh, and I'm very proud of that, too. But now, you just said that comedian is dependent on storytelling. Well, <laughs> that's true. Comedy is a form of that. Okay, you got me. You're right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But approached in a different way. I guess... I, I'm going to say something some audience won't like, okay? The difference between a comedian and a storyteller? Uh, when a comedian performs, there's a large audience. <laughs> and you know... Unfortunately, you're right. I have to agree. And and I've talked about this with other people, other storytellers. Because when I do my shows um, on Maui, I do. I have, I have a huge audience because it's not promoted as storytelling. People are coming for a comedy show. And, and that is something that I think we need to... One of our sessions um, here at the conference addressed that. And my husband used to tell me this all the time. He used to tell Jeff, Jeff Gear you got to come up with a different term because the general audience, the public, thinks of storytelling as something for children or something very, uh, you know, ethnically, um, oh, what's the word? Not for them. They, they don't think of it as entertainment for mainstream adults, which is too bad because, you know, once you get them in the place, then they realize, wow, this is really cool, and they love it. But there's just this stigma around the the word storytelling, I think, for for the general public. Um, And and that's unfortunate, you know, because I think a lot of, I think many storytellers are wonderful comedians and deserve to have a bigger audience and and should. What what term? (laughs) Well... I know, a performance artist came to my, uh, no, 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 that's just, that's too far out there. That already, that carries a whole different uh, thing. I don't know. I have thought about this for years, and I've never been able to come up with a good one. Um, all I know is that if I market myself as a comedian, I get a lot further than if I say I'm a storyteller. Now, I've had this conversation with my group. Oh, first, let me give you my term I'm playing with, which is oral narrative. Oral narrative? Oral narrative. Now, wait. I've been playing with my group, trying to get them to use the word comedian. And the response I get from from my local group, and I don't want to out them, though everybody I guess knows who they are listening to the show, is that they're not comedians. They're storytellers. They're serious storytellers. They do tell some funny stories. But they feel like if they advertise themselves as comedians, they have to be able to do stand-up. They have to be able to put up with the crowd and think on their feet and come up with new jokes on the spot and say one-liners. Yeah, I, I, I can understand that, and 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 that's a valid point. Um, okay, oral narrative to me sounds a little too academic. Comic storyteller is something that we've used from time to time. You know, we, we tell people, well, yeah, it's storytelling, but it's funny. You're going to love it. And, and, and they might be more willing to come well your your group does have a good point that not all storytellers are comedians but i don't know comic actor doesn't work either uh so say a a donald davis who you may not have ever heard of actually (laughs) but (laughs) donald davis most people listen and be like oh yeah donald davis he's a storyteller and his work is very finely finished it he gets a laugh every 20 seconds you know but he doesn't do any one-liners he doesn't walk on stage and tell a line. He just starts telling the story. 
Is that comedy? I think so. I mean, anything that makes you laugh is comedy. Uh, you know, the so a- anything that makes you laugh is comedy. I think so. I mean, that's how I look at it. So how often does the laugh have to come? Every twenty seconds, every forty seconds, every minute. I think if you get one big, huge laugh at the end of a twenty-minute story, it's a comedy. <laughs> I don't think that in order to be a comedian, you need to have people laughing continually. Now, maybe the audience might disagree with me. It's yeah, I, and I do see a distinction between stand-up comic and comedian or comic actor which is more what I consider myself to be. Um, when I do my, my one-woman shows, I don't, you know, I don't do one-liners. I basically am doing monologues, which really are stories. Um, and when I tell my jokes, like I say, I consider jokes to be very short stories. You know, they usually have a, a tiny bit of a plot and a point. <laughs> but yeah, I don't do knock-knock jokes or stuff like that. But you know, uh, pratfalls, a pie in the face, those things make you laugh. That's comedy. I'm just excited about this conversation. This is really interesting because I've been, I've been playing. I have a show personally um, that's Tall Tales of a Dyslexic New Yorker. It's basically they're they're pretty funny stories. I can get into a family audience. Or even an older audience, and I can get a laugh every 40 seconds. On a good night, every 30 seconds. On a bad night, every 60 seconds. <laughs> but still, I'm getting a regular laugh. And so the the fear is that I'm hearing from my group, and I feel inside myself, is that by using the word comedian, I'm making a promise to the audience that comes that I'm going to be like those people who are on the comedy channel, and are walking around the microphone and just kind of, they have a script, but they're kind of doing a little bit here and a little bit there. It's not these long Bill Cosby-style things anymore. Sure, I understand. I understand that. Um, I don't think, well, I have to say, I saw your CD downstairs at the conference, and the first thing I thought was, oh, cool, this guy's an actor, too. You know, I, when I see that the, the title, Tall Tales of a Dyslexic New Yorker, I immediately think this is a comedian, you know. I didn't think another storytelling CD. I thought, oh, this looks funny. And, uh, well, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm, my perspective is different from the general audience perspective. And you are probably correct in saying that if you put yourself out there as a comedian, People will expect you to be to do stand-up, and they'll expect to be laughing at jokes and, and all of that. So are you putting yourself out there as a comedian? Actually, I am. Well, others do. <laughs> and you don't do stand-up? I don't, but I do something like probably closer to stand-up than, than what you're accustomed to. Um, depending on the audience, depending on the context, uh, I've done titta gigs where I don't tell one of my stories. I tell a whole bunch of jokes strung together, uh, sort of as a, a character um, development thing. We have two examples. Sure. See, because I get this crazy family. Huh? Everybody in my family is nuts. They drive me crazy too. But my tutu is my grandma. She's the best. 
She figured, as long as you're learning, you're living. You're never going to get old if you're always learning. So she read all kinds of books and magazines all the time. Now, one day she was reading this women's magazine, How for Put the Spark Back in Your Marriage. Because, you know, when you've been married 50 years, yeah, sometimes you got to jumpstart the battery once in a while. So she get this idea from the magazine. And when my pops, my grandpa, go out to uh, golf, my tutu, she take off all her clothes and she wait for him on the living room couch, all naked. And when Pops open up the door and he's seen her laying there, he go, Whoa, what you doing? Why you lying around the house naked? And tutu, she tell him what she went read in the magazine. She go, I'm not naked. I'm wearing the dress of love. Pops tell, the dress of love? Huh. You couldn't iron them first. Now you see, that's a little story. <laughs> but it's an old joke. Um, just told in the context of let me tell you what my grandma did, you know. And, and that's what I do, mostly. Fourth uh, <laughs> of July, I was asked to perform at a biker's convention. <laughs> it was a statewide gathering of Harley uh, motorcycle enthusiasts, all local folks, big Hawaiian, Portuguese men, um, they'd come from other islands, so only the guys from Maui knew me, the, the folks from the other islands had no idea who I was or what I was going to do, and uh, and I decided, I was prepared to tell a couple of Pele stories, but I could see by the time I went on, it was after one rock and roll group, it was like 9 o'clock at night. They had been drinking, you know, ever since they got back from their ride um, at dusk. And and so I just told a bunch of those little short family stories, <laughs> which which went over pretty well, actually. It was a lot of fun. But again, it just depends on the audience. Um, when they introduced me, they said, oh, this is Kathy Collins. She's a local, local stand-up comic. And I went, oh, I wish they hadn't said that, but uh, but obviously that's how I was. I'm perceived by by some folks. <laughs> Why did you say you wish they hadn't said that? Well, the same reason that you you and your group are reluctant to put that comedian label out there was I was afraid they would expect something. Uh, they, they they'd be expecting Margaret Cho, and I'm not quite. I don't have that many jokes in my arsenal. I kind of have to stretch them out and uh, do something along a theme or, you know, it's it's, it's a little bit different than, I, I don't just rapid fire one-liners and jokes. Um, so I think what I do is really a blend of what we perceive to be storytelling and what we perceive to be comedy, stand-up comedy, yeah. That's pretty cool. Let's let's talk about. I just want to hear about what you do with your radio show, because not your radio show, your radio station. I just want to talk a little bit about your radio station because uh, Jeff has waxed elegantly about it a few times. Just give us the facts first. We are a non-profit, uh, non-commercial station. We're a low-power FM. Um, the initiative for low-power FM was created a number of, a few years ago during the Clinton administration. Um, because corporate radio, as you know, has just it's t taken over. There are a few big, huge companies that own all of the radio stations across the nation and here in Hawaii. So Low Power FM is a way for the little folks and, and nonprofit organizations to 
to have a say. My husband and I have been in radio most of our all of our adult lives. We met in radio, and we always wanted to have our own radio station. So when the Low Power Initiative came about, we jumped on it. Um, Manao Radio is... We pride ourselves on being eclectic. Um, the way my husband used to say it, I thought this was so beautiful, is um, if we can play all sorts of music, all genre of music, and make it fit together, then we can do the same with people in our community. There's room for everybody, and we all can coexist. And so we don't have a format. We, we play anything and everything including spoken word bits. We will weave in a 10-minute story into a 20-minute set with music. And what is your listener base? And uh, We mainly 35 and up, although I've gotten calls from uh, folks who have thanked us for bringing their families together. You know, people in their 50s saying, my gosh, there's a radio station that my teenagers like listening to. And I can handle, and then we we talk about the music together. And your Arbitron numbers? You know, because we're low-power FM and non-commercial, we're not always included in the surveys. The last survey, and because we don't purchase the surveys, we're not supposed to be able to use them, but we've got friends at the commercial stations. And our numbers have been quite good. Again, 35 and up, we do very well in. We even do pretty well in the 18 to 34s. There are about a dozen stations in the Maui market, and we come in in the top five pretty much in all the time slots, which is just amazing to me. Considering that the other stations are spending millions of dollars on on all their equipment, and you're getting by with a shoestring. Hi, I'm Ann Glover, and you're listening to The Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Okay, now do I go? Okay, Monkey, yeah, go ahead, your turn. Okay, hi. Um, no, wait a second. Um, wait, can we start over, because I forgot if I... No, Monkey, just say hi, this is Monkey. Hi, but Ann, what, they don't know me. No, but th- that's why you're introducing yourself. Hi, this is Monkey. No, I'm Monkey. I know, I'm just <laughs> telling you what to say. Hi, I'm Monkey, and this is, you're listening to... And you're... But what if they're not listening anymore? They're listening, Monkey. Just talk to them. Um, okay, you're listening to The Art of Storytelling, but Anne... Anne... What, Monkey? You say with Brother Wolf. Come on. Oh, yeah. Um, but why is he called Brother Wolf? It's his name. Well, his name's Eric, but he's calling himself Brother Wolf. Why don't we just say with Eric Wolf? Well, you can say that, Monkey. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and you're listening to Eric. No, but then they'll think I'm Eric. No, they won't, Monkey. They really won't. Okay, hi. This is Monkey. Um, and... You've got to wrap it up, Monkey. Wrap what up? End. We're running out of time. Okay, hi. This is Monkey, and, um, um, you're listening to the Art of Storytelling with Brother Wolf. Wolf. Eric, is that it? That's it, monkey. Well done. So if someone is interested in 
uh, just learning more about your show. If a, if a, if a uh, festival organizer is interested in inviting you, how would they find out more about you? Well, you can go to the, uh, our radio station website, which is Manao Radio, M-A-N-A-O-R-A-D-I-O dot com. And um, you can, my bio is posted there along with all of our other uh, volunteer um, DJs. I promise to get myself on Facebook and MySpace and all of that really soon. I'm just terrible at marketing myself, I, I have to admit. I, I, I'm going to do what your friend did. I'm going to f- build myself a character, an agent manager, and become that. And, and start, Or maybe I'll make Tita do it. <laughs> Tita can call around and get gigs for me. But um, uh, Manaoradio.com, that's, that's probably the best way. Um, if you Google me, you'll probably find, I, I know that there are some um, clips of Tida and what I've done at various um, um, events on YouTube. Um, probably the most memorable one was doing the uh, Maui AIDS Foundation um, Safe Sex Tips in Pigeon <laughs> at a drag queen pageant. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's still... Now, that is a great way of getting more of you. That sounds really interesting. On the blog post for this guest, I have a direct link to that YouTube video. And so if you want to easily find this YouTube video, which is probably on the second page of any Google search, just go to the blog at artofstorytellingshow.com and find the interview with Kathy Collins. Probably look under the archive show links. And there under show 111, you will find my interview with Kathy Collins. While you're there at the site, why don't you sign in to get weekly alerts? Just type in artofstorytellingshow.com slash alert, A-L-E-R-T, and you'll get weekly alerts as when things are going on. Or if you want to get the free e-course, which I mention just about every show, Zen and the Art of Storytelling in Seven Simple Steps, you can go type in www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash storytelling. I know that there are many people listening to the show who don't follow me on Twitter, which is Eric Wolf 2, or, or they don't, they aren't fans of the Facebook page. That's over a thousand people on the Facebook page who have liked the show and liked the work we're doing. So if, if you have Facebook or you have Twitter, come on board, come on board, friend me up, I'll friend you back, or like what I'm doing on Facebook. So, you got any final words of wisdom for the international storytelling community? Uh, <laughs> oh, words of wisdom. Um, gee, I always wanted to come up with something profound. You know, I've been. Oh, come on, Tina's got something. Come on. <laughs> okay. Tina's advice. Just get out there, say what you like, say, and be proud for be one storyteller or one comedian or whatever you like call yourself. Main thing is you get yourself out there and you share the word. Oh, yeah. I love this idea of adapting the shell, the disguise we need. Now, we, we, you don't really, you didn't, you said you weren't actually doing that totally. But this idea we kind of discussed a little bit here of adapting the coat you need to get through the experience and and I know for me, I'm a character actor, and I'm I'm not a memorizer. I can't memorize lines at all. Forget it. But I'm a character actor, so I can be a character telling a story, and I do that in my Civil War show. It enables me to talk about things that I probably couldn't get away with talking about to kids in terms of being an anti-war show. 
because I'm really brutal laid out and because I'm in a uniform. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but if I just stood on stage and told them the same story, they're like, ah. So there's something about adapting that that coat, that temporary shell that lets us to really go places sometimes we're not comfortable. The thing I really like about your character is that you are uh, really honoring something that is such a core value of Hawaii. And sometimes it, when we struggle in our lives, and our lives are imperfect, we're all imperfect. Everyone has their imperfections. And when we adapt this shell, we can pretend for a short time that we have whatever it takes. And you know what happens is after a little while, we actually start to have whatever it takes. And then as we go on, we discover, wait, we actually did have it all along, you know. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Eric. This has been great fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. This guest has written a post for the blog that can be read at www.artofstorytellingshow.com. This post includes a bio and a link to the guest's website, plus other additional information about our discussion. If you want to respond to this show, you can find this post and share your thoughts through the comment system in the blog comment box. If you wish to join a future show as an audience member, go to www.artofstorytellingshow.com slash alerts and sign up to the email alert system. You can buy CDs of shows and preloaded iPods on the website. The music was created by Mary Kay Croft, and we are much indebted to her contribution. This show is produced and hosted by me, Brother Wolf, and I am responsible for its content. It is released under a Creative Commons non-derivative and non-commercial license. That means you can copy it and you can give it away, but you can't splice it up or sell it. High-definition versions of this show are considered copyrighted, all rights reserved.